I uh, put on my social media this question. You ever like post a question that you're like, eh, this is probably gonna bomb, but you post it and then like all of a sudden it like blows up. And I went as close to viral as I could have gone, I guess. And uh, with one question, what do you consider to be powerful? And it just blew up with these responses. And it, it was eye-opening to me that no one mentioned, not even my friends from New Hampshire, no one mentioned Tom Brady in their response about what is powerful. I mean, he is the most powerful man in the known world, but we digress. Here are some of the things that people said as to what is powerful. Tidal waves, rip current, black holes, music, the sun, curiosity. Someone said Taco Bell. I think it's powerful when like, it rips through. That. That's not how you start a sermon. Uh, influence, love, prayer. Carson Wentz made the list over Tom Brady. Yep, that's offensive. But okay, humor, all right. Humility, a person's testimony, their story. Gossip, a doctor's appointment. The mind. Self-proclaimed Rich Jennings. Where is that guy? Rich Jennings said himself to be powerful on my feed. Uh, Self-proclaimed. My jerk college buddy, Andy Manette said his fantasy football team was the most powerful thing that he knows of. Uh, the temptation to quit. And then Walt Muller, a, uh, he writes a lot for a youth ministry, and we happen to be Facebook friends. And uh, he had said this, my own sin nature, and then thankfully the cross. There are other things listed as powerful, but it was the 13th person. It was one of our very own. Help me, Rhonda, <laughs> said uh, words. Words are powerful. As we think about that, wouldn't, wouldn't we agree? Do me a favor. I'm, I'm going to start by sitting. Do me a favor. If you've ever been hurt by another Christian, would you please stand up? I'm standing because I have. So a lot of us have been hurt by a Christian. Now, do me a favor. If that hurt has anything to do with words. Maybe it was gossip, maybe it was a tone, maybe it was that you didn't like what they had said. If the hurt had anything to do with words, would you please sit down? And the two or three, two of you guys, you can go ahead and sit down. There are two people left standing. One of the most painful things ever to happen to me as a Christian was the day before we launched our church. I had a text message from a, what used to be a mentor containing some of the most hurtful words I've ever heard in my life. I left this room, walked around the building just weeping. It was so painful. We're not alone in this. We've done it too. I know people that won't talk to me because of things I've said. Think about some of the words that you have said. Maybe it's Think through even the last 24 hours of your text messages, your direct messages, your, your Instagram or Insta-tweet or whatever those things are. Things that you have said. Have you been on the giving end of hurt? See, our big thought for the morning is, is this. Words are powerful. We can agree with that, right? Now, that's very basic. We, many of us, almost all of us stood up, and then almost all of us sat down. So it's not hard for us to wrap our minds around words are powerful. We're there. We get that. But James is going to articulate 
really how this power, what this power does, how, what, it, what, it, what it translates into, and things that we need to remember as we consider the power of words. And this is a very simple message, but think of the magnitude of all of us standing, all of us sitting. We all need to consider our words right now. God and Satan both handle words very, very differently. Think, of, think about the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Words are at play in both ends. God says in the beginning, God said, God spoke. And what happened? His power. Light. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be land and there was land. Let there be vegetation there was vegetation. He spoke words and, and things and, and flames and fire and stars and, and things just beautifully went into place. The power of God's words to create. It's beautiful. Have you ever been to Arizona? Have you ever traveled cross country? Graham told a story of London. The beauty of God speaking this planet into existence. It is beautiful and it is powerful and it is awesome. And then chapter 3 happens. And that slimy snake Satan comes slithering over to Eve and Adam and speaks. Did God really say? Did God really say? He speaks words. He speaks lies. He's, he's deceiving. He uses his words for evil to con Satan. You know what his number one characteristic is? He's the father of lies. And so in the first three books of Genesis, we have this dichotomy of words. The power, the might, the goodness of words. And then Satan, that slithery little snake and how he can use and twist words to get us to believe lies getting us away from our God. And so we see in the first two verses that words are powerful. It's a power that must be respected. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So he starts, I mean, we're, we're coming off of this chapter where, where, where James was saying, you should really consider how you live. Consider the fruit of your life. If, if, you, if you believe in Jesus, if you put faith in Jesus Christ, would your fruit give evidence and verification of that? And he goes right into, now we turn the page and we go right into, consider your words. And if you're a teacher, you really ought to consider your words. Because you have the ability to guide and persuade. You can use words for good like that of God, or you can use words for evil like that of Satan. It's a humbling thing for me. I don't take it lightly. I spend a good amount of time in prayer each week for what? This very moment. Because I respect the power that my words yield. I met with a lady this week that, that started the conversation with, I need counsel and I'm trusting what God's going to say through you. I didn't verbally pray right then and there, but in my mind, in my spirit, I didn't hear the next few words she said. Because I was praying, God, there's weight behind what's about to be said. So the, the teacher has this, this weight. If you're a life group leader, if, if you're somebody that is mentoring, we all should be mentoring people, shaping minds. If you're a starting point leader, your words have power. And so we must respect that. 
And so I make it my point each week to make sure that we go to the Word of God. Because there's power behind my words. I don't want you to know, leave here knowing my opinion. <laughs> I want you to leave here knowing the power of the Word of God. <laughs> because I want to be judged by saying, here's what God's Word has to say, not what my opinion is. And so he says, if you're able to bridle, if you're able to completely control your tongue, then you're holy. As we strive for holiness, first place to start is your words. When we think of adulting, growing, growing in the faith, think about people that you would be, that adults that you would consider to be immature. Isn't most of our, in most immaturity have something to do with words? <laughs> Like they're immature because of the type of language that they're saying or what they're listening to or, or what they're talking about. If you want to be holy, if you want to strive to be holy as God is holy, it starts with considering our words. That's what verse 26 in chapter 1 was talking about. If you can't bridle your tongue, if you can't control your mouth, then your religion might be worthless. But James is not saying be silent. Remember he said be slow to speak. He's saying just have self-control with your speech. Think before you talk that age-old adage. And if you're talking a whole bunch of nonsense, a whole bunch of garbage, then what does that say about your heart? You may have seen this lady's picture before. The lady named Michelle Carter. She, uh, she blew up social media recently for all the wrong reasons. She uh, had a boyfriend that she was texting. And the results of those text messages have now landed her in jail for two and a half years, and she only has to serve 15 months. She was texting her boyfriend who was struggling with depression, encouraging him to kill himself. Told him ways on how to do it, motivated him to, tonight's the night. I'm not going to read you her text messages. They're, they're, they're just disgusting. And the end result is a car and a hose, and he was dead. And so when the text messages were recovered, she's on trial. Now she's in jail for two and a half years. Fifteen months. Now we maybe we're not as grotesque as that. You can get her picture off the screen. But can't we look at the magnitude of our words and say, yeah, there is weight behind what we say. My words can lead to some pretty drastic results. Or those that stood up, you can, you can put into context. Somebody has said something to me, and yeah, it's a world of hurt for me. It took, it took power and might and strength to even walk through those doors because of things that have been said to me. Our words have weight. So it does require us to have a certain amount of discipline when we're speaking. See, we value captivating environments. We want this to be welcoming. We want this to be loving. And you know what? As I was chewing on this this week, to me the most captivating environment is when you walk in someplace and someone gives you the time of day. I'm sincerely glad you're here. Not just the proverbial like, hey, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. Like, no, I genuinely care that you exist and that you're here. You could be anywhere in Tom's River right now, but you are here. And so I welcome you, and I'm happy you're here. We want this to be an encouraging place, and that if we spent our time on a Sunday morning or throughout the week, we are going to create captivating environments. We don't need anything else, any bells and whistles beyond our words. Let's start there. 
Those other things help. I'm not saying they don't have purpose. But our words, to give somebody encouragement and, 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 what, and, and, and joy, and I'm glad that you exist. So may our excellence start with our speech. We're not saying become robotic. God's not saying only speak in hymns, only speak in Proverbs. <laughs> but he is saying think before you speak. We don't have to use all the loud shouts. <laughs> We're not going old school Amish on us, all right? We can think before we speak and then speak accordingly. And it would be great. I mentioned social media at the start. If we really had self-discipline with our speech, imagine if society applied this to social media. I'm just going to leave that there. Sorry, so moving on. It's a, it's a, words are powerful. It's a power that needs to be respected. It's a power that needs to be understood. Verses 3 through 6 say, If you put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large, are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue a fi is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among all members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So James describes this as, a, as your speech can dictate the rest of your life. You know who agrees with that message? Michelle Carter. Perhaps it was a night of just letting things get away from herself. The rest of her life has now been stained, to use this language. Our words has a way to, to, to corrupt character, to corrupt our, our image. You, you, we can think of people in ministry that have had such remarkable careers, or maybe somebody in politics or somebody, a celebrity, that has, things have gone so well, but then all of a sudden these tweets from the past surface or text messages or what they thought were private conversations all of a sudden are let loose and out in the public, and all of a sudden this, this spotless image is now destroyed, and they never are able to regain themselves. And so it is a power that must be understood. Because from our mouths can flow so many things. Now we can, we can think of obvious sins, like the sins of the mouth. We can think of gossip. We can think of lying. We can think of cursing. Those might be obvious. But from the mouth can also flow anger. From the mouth can also flow our pride. From the mouth can also flow lust. You can set an, an affair in order. You can steal through your lies and your deceit, your impatience. Parents, you know this when you're impatient, how your tongue can let loose on a child. You can murder people with your hatred. The tongue is capable of so much evil and so much good. He gives three analogies. He, he says the horse and the boat, those are neutral. You can, you can do something great with your life and great with your words. You can encourage people. You can, you can use it for great good. Or you can use it for evil like a fire. It takes one word, one spark. You know how the Chicago fire was said to have started? What I read was a cow kicking a lantern. Sparked a big old fire. 
one cow. 17,000 buildings, bye-bye. 100,000 people homeless, three and a half miles of city destroyed. They killed over 250 people because a cow kicked over a lantern. So it is with our words. It takes one word. Think about it. Some of you are sitting here, and it's been maybe 30, 40 years since you stepped foot in church. And perhaps it was a 30-second conversation with a Christian that said something. Perhaps you haven't been here for 30 years because of that 30-second conversation. Our words are powerful. Now, are we using it for good or are we using it for evil? He brings in this imagery of hell, but he's using a word. James is using a word. He, he, he was the church leader in Jerusalem. He uses a word for something that was outside of the city. It was in the Old Testament, it was this, this valley of Henon, where in the Old Testament, they would bring people and they would do child sacrifice and idolatry would be in this valley of Henon right outside the city. When James is writing, what this was used for was to collect all the garbage and have the garbage just 24-7, day in and day out, burning, 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 burning. And so James brings this imagery of hell, but what he's really is saying, when you consider your words, if you aren't careful, if you don't have control of your mouth, it is like the garbage burning over and over. That smell of garbage burning is like that of your words when you don't control it. The evil that can come from your mouths is likened to a garbage pit burning, 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 burning. So we have to understand what we say matters and not say things flippantly. Now, I am a very passionate man, and I can say things kind of flippantly. So here are some basic examples. Now, I'm not techno technologically advanced or whatnot. I, I, I go to other people for my technology. I'll go to Jay Curcio or Graham or others. I'll sometimes go to Dan Carvello, but he doesn't really like Apple, and I think that's sinful, and so I'm Apple only. And, uh, but I go to certain people for tech technology advice. But there's, maybe it's because I'm younger or I have an iPhone or whatnot, but there might be some older people sometimes that come to me and, and ask me for some advice with technology. I don't really understand why, but they do. And I always kind of have this like, well, why is my computer slow? And I kind of always have this like go-to saying. I say, well, go to your web browser and clear the cookies. Clear the cookies. And I, and I say that all the time. And I say, oh, all the time, like whenever these conversations happen. And here's what I can tell you now from the stage publicly. I don't have a clue what a cookie is. My wife, my wife makes killer cookies, but when it comes to computers, I don't have a clue. But if you can figure it out, I've given you good advice, but I don't have a clue what I'm saying. Now, this also played out in high school. I had this class, and I was kind of crushing on a girl, and the class was you had to write this persuasive essay, and that was what you presented at the end of the class. And this whole time, we're talking, we're going back and forth, and she's talking about euthanasia. That was what she was, was passionate about. And I was playing on, like, yeah, it's like, that's serious, that's a big deal. And, and the whole time, I'm like, I don't get it. Because I'm breaking that up into three words, not one. I was breaking up into the youth in Asia. And I had no clue. And I was just the whole time playing, like, yeah, this is serious. This is like, yeah, youth in Asia. And then all of a sudden, she presents her, like, final project. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, that makes youth in it. Yes! I wondered why was that such a political thing with what they were doing in Asia, why it was coming to America, and then I found out. But here's the worst one, where I said things flippantly. 
didn't understand my words. I was again trying to, there's a, that's a sad thing. I was trying to crush on another girl, and uh, that was like sixth grade. Now, I grew up Christian, sheltered, like New Hampshire, traditional church boy, and uh, so I knew Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen back in the day? Not too many. Anybody remember the Gaithers? That played in the car. Uh, we had some Gaithers. Some of y'all, some of y'all like. And uh, my mom like let us venture out to DC Talk. Are you down with the DC Talk, right? And so those are the bands I knew. But I'm trying to crush on this girl, and we're and we're talking. There's a group of us talking, and she asks this question: Well, what band do you like? I'm like, I ain't saying the Gaithers. I ain't saying, like, I have nothing to say. And somebody in, in the lunch line mentioned a band that I had never heard of in my life. And so I blurted out this band. That's what I said. I said Hanson. Now, if you're from the 90s, you know why that, that crush didn't lead anywhere. And if you've never heard of Hanson, there's a reason why, Bob. We say things flippantly all the time. But as Christians, we have to understand the power of our words in the right circumstances. To know where that can bring people and how God or the enemy might use our words. This is on the forefront of endless growth. The adulting process is, is getting control of our tongue. So how are we going to grow in our speech? Here are some questions to consider. How can you be more like Jesus in your speech? How can you apply maybe a proverb, a, a soft answer turns away wrath? Parents, that's a big one, especially for me. Do we struggle with direct sins of the mouth? Do we struggle with indirect sins of the mouth? How will we grow in this area? Are we willing to grow in this area? Are we willing to bring it before God? So, it's a power. Words are powerful. It's a power that must be respected. It's a power that must be understood. Thirdly, it's a power that must be yielded. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is, rest it is a restless evil Full of what? Deadly poison. James is stressing that we are human, that you and I can't do this on our own. The words are powerful. And so we must yield this. We must surrender this. We must give it over to God for help. If you're trying to do this on your own, it will never work. That Michelle Carter, you and I, we all have this similar thing. It starts with our heart, bringing our heart before God and saying, God, mold my heart. We said last week, is your gratitude in line with God? Are you, are you grateful for God? Then here's what we would apply that to this week. As you're grateful for everything God has done, are your words indicating that you are grateful to God? And if not, there's a heart issue that has to be addressed. Because if we don't address the heart issue, then our words become a deadly poison. Think of all of us that stood up. Wouldn't we say it's a deadly poison? You'll never, ever catch my family wearing anything from this company. It's hard for me to even speak it on the stage. I hate Reebok. I hate all things Reebok. And I love athletes. I love athletics. I love trying to, like, be all about my fantasy football and all about sports. But I hate Reebok. And if you ever, ever get me a gift of a Reebok shirt, 
I'm going to thank you and burn it at my house. I say that kiddingly, but someone seriously, I don't like Reebok, and here's why. Because when I was in the fifth grade, there was a bully that said awful things about my mommy. And I'm a mama's boy. Told me things I should do with my mom that are inappropriate. He would say mean things about my weight. And it led to, he, he was just a bully and he wore white Reebok shoes. Always wore white Reebok shoes. And so no matter what, even at 34, I see Reebok and I associate Reebok, which might be a great, there might be, the head of Reebok might be a wicked great Christian giving, curing orphans and all things great and like doing so much with good, but his brand stands for the bully in my book because I associate it. And so our words, wouldn't for some of us, wouldn't it, wouldn't we liken it to a deadly poison? Think about what has been said to you, what was said to me the day before we launched this church. Honey wasn't spoken to me. It was deadly poison. And so we have to understand this power and yield it before God for help. Are our words that of honey or poison? And so are we going to go, are we willing to go to God's word for help? Are we willing to go to him in prayer? Because we know the power of our words. Yield it before God because there might be people that run away from God because of our words. And there might be people, it can be used for good, that our words are honey and sweet. I've heard of stories this week of people just speaking about God at work. Because when life got tough for a co-worker, they've checked out church. I saw the way you were living for years and years. I want a little bit of your Jesus. Well done. That's honey, not a deadly poison. So lastly, words are powerful. So power that must be respected, understood, yielded before God. But lastly, it must be examined. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. With the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from, from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevines produce figs? Neither can salt pond, a salt pond yield or produce fresh water. So he goes, he starts off by using a term that's only used here in Scripture. Lord and Father. The only time that it's put together. And so our words, when you're talking, would someone say, wow, Jesus is really Lord of his life? Or would they question that? As you're talking, when someone look at you and say, wow, God must really be his father. Or would they question that? And so he brings this terminology in. Lord and Father, do our words show respect to God as our Lord and as our Father? With our mouths, do we deny God as God or do we declare him as God? Peter struggled with this early in the gospel. He Jesus asks a question that you don't ask people. Who do people say I am? And he asks it. And, he, and Peter just declares it. Well, well Jesus, so some say you're dead. You're a prophet. Some say this, that, the other thing. But Peter stands up and says, no, you're the Messiah. You are God. Beautiful. Great words. This is awesome. Well done, Peter. Flip a few pages. Jesus dies on the cross. Or Jesus is, is, is standing trial. 
And with those same mouth, same exact mouth, same tongue. Don't you know him? Aren't you one? No, no, never heard him. Never, I don't know. Same mouth, denying him as God. So does our, do our mouths, are they denying God as God? Or are they declaring him as God, both positive and negative? He, he, we, we see this. Here, here's where this gets real. We're capable of so much good and so much evil all at the same time. For What about the mouth? Okay. What about your phone? On the same phone, you can read your Bible app, you version, and double-click and be looking at a website that you should never look at. Simple double-click, all of a sudden we go one direction, then another. And, and, and James is bringing out how illogical that is. That, that can't be. He, he goes on, can, can fresh water produce salt water? Obviously no. Can a fig tree, tree, bear certain fruit? Can it, can it bear other fruit if it's, if it's a fig tree? No, obviously not. Can a grapevine produce figs? No, obviously no. Produce, produce, produce. What is produced out of us? Doesn't that, isn't that an indication of the heart? We had this tree last week on the stage. So if we're producing good fruit and all of a sudden the fruit is bad, this might seem silly, but here's what you can't do. You can't rip off all the bad fruit and just go down the road to ShopRite and buy a whole bunch of new apples and tape it up to the tree. It won't last. It won't work. If, you, if the fruit is bad, if what's being produced out of you is bad, here's what you have to do. You have to go to the root and start nourishing the root and the soil, fixing the root. And then what's going to happen is the tree is going to grow and it's going to produce better fruit. And so if you and I, if what's being produced out of us is bad fruit, if everything we say is negative, fix the soil. Are you grateful to God? We have to go before God and say, God, I need help with my lips. Here's how this can play out. Chuck Swindoll said this. After a long Sunday morning service, a family sat down to eat lunch. The father bowed his head and led the children in a blessing. He thanked the Lord for the food, for the day, and for their home. Shortly after saying amen, he proceeded to fuss about the preacher. Never happened. The church. Never his job, never. Nothing but complaints poured out of his lips. Following all that, his little daughter tapped him on the shoulder and said, Daddy, did God hear you when you said the blessing? Switching to a theological authority, the dad answered, Yes, darling, he did. Well, his daughter asked, Did God hear you when you fussed after you prayed? Well, honey, I suppose he did. And the daughter asked, well then, Daddy, which one did God believe? <laughs> I love how Chuck Swindoll says that because we, we do it, right? Like, it's, let's not beat ourselves up. Well, come on. We come to church. We're praising God. But 20 minutes ago, some of us were in the car, and it was a doozy. <laughs> but we're going to praise God here. and we're, we're Maybe not because of the sermon. We'll wait next week. You're going to leave the sermon, and you're going to go to your car, and you're going to... That tongue when, when two kids are in the back seat and they're fighting over something stupid like a juice box or something, your tongue's going to get you. It can happen. See, I thank God for second chances. I thank God that, yes, we all struggle with words. So here it is in a sermon. We can leave here being like, yeah, I stink with words. 
Well, here's the second chance to say, examine, consider. Consider your heart. Don't allow there to be hypocrisy between your words and your actions. Declare today you're going to use your words for good. Maybe you can Google something. You can Google uh, Proverbs on speech. There it is. A whole, a whole bunch of websites, will, good websites will come up. Maybe that's what you need to do this week. Consider how to be more proper, how to, how to be better in your words, and, and to consider what God says about our speech, to bring it before God and, and examine our lives. Here's an opportunity to examine. And so words are powerful. It must be respected. It must be understood. It must be yielded, and it must be surrendered. As we check out a video, the aisle hosts are going to be handing out during the video a, a card. Hold on to that card and that pen. We're going to get back to it after this video. Did you know the longest word in the English dictionary is numino ultramicroscopic silico volcanoconiosis, consisting of 45 letters? It's a lung disease, in case you were wondering. The average person speaks 16,000 words per day. The longest printed sentence in an English language novel is 13,955 words, written by Jonathan Coe. The shortest story ever written is six words long, authored by Ernest Hemingway, with a total of 25 letters, which happens to be 11 letters less than it takes to write out 13,000. 955. During the Civil War, Edward Everett delivered a speech at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania that consisted of over 13,500 words and lasted for two hours. Abraham Lincoln followed it up with 268 words in two minutes that gave newfound hope to a bloodied nation and is considered one of the greatest speeches in American history. On August 28, 1963, a Baptist minister from Atlanta, Georgia, spoke 1,578 words that changed the course of a nation. 28 years before that, an idealistic European prime minister's words were instrumental in changing the course of the war. Words can define a vision. no matter how sinister the vision might be. Some words are by mothers. Others by monsters. But do our words matter? Words that build up or words that demoralize? Words that challenge or words that excuse, words that unite, or words that tear apart. Do they matter? Is anyone listening? Or are they just words? Words are powerful. They're powerfully revealing, aren't they? Perhaps our words reveal we don't respect God.
perhaps our words say that they reveal that we don't understand our God or that we, they reveal that we're not yielded to God or that we're not examining our lives before God. As we would take a moment to examine our words, what does it reveal? Here's a moment to, to declare to be different. That's a good thing. We don't have to beat ourselves up. God is a God of second chances. Praise God. If we haven't ruined somebody's lives with our words, then don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Here's my challenge. You have a postcard, a little card thing there, and a pen. You're all clicking it. There it is. All right. Write down five people. I want you this week to use your words for positivity. Could you write down five names? Perhaps it's somebody that you know you've been very negative to in the past. Maybe this week is an encouragement to say, I am going to speak truth. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to be loving. Five people that you can declare this week, I am going to encourage them with my words. Maybe it's been a tough week with your kids. Leave here encouraging your kids. Maybe it's been a tough week with a coworker. Leave and go tomorrow and encourage that coworker. Maybe it's a spouse that maybe for years you haven't said one positive thing to them and you're going to go home and say something nice and they're going to wonder why. Tell them about Jesus. Perhaps you are here and you have believed lies from the evil one. See, both Satan, Satan is referred to as a lion roaming around looking to devour people. You know his best method of devouring you and I? is through lies. Getting us to doubt our God and, and disbelieve our God. That's what he did in the garden. Did God really say? He's the father of lies. He's a lion roaming around looking to devour you. And so maybe you're here and you have believed lie after lie after lie. And it's a miracle that you're even here. But then there's Jesus, who's considered to be the Lion of Judah. And you know how you shut a roaring lion up? You get another lion to roar louder. And so I want to close by just reading a few verses. Because maybe you've walked in here believing lies, and we're going to leave here believing truth. Because words are powerful. And so here's the truth of the gospel. He says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will resolve over you with singing. Stand quietly before your God. Forget the lies. Believe the truth of Jesus who sings over you and is glad you exist. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them some of you walked in here feeling worthless and like a piece of crap but I just read that we are his workmanship for those that call the name of Jesus so if you're feeling worthless right now is that from God or the enemy because God doesn't He's created you, He's called you, and so you are not worthless. You are a child of God. And so it is our desire to strive for more and do better with our speech and to believe truth.
So we're going to say death was arrested. Truth, truth, truth. Leave here. Stop believing and speaking lies of the enemy. Leave here declaring truth, the truth of the gospel.